I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where two best friends read books together and learn how to ask their bodies what they need. This season, our book is Burnout by Emily Nagoski, PhD, and Amelia Nagoski, DMA. I'm researcher Dr. Kelly Jones. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich. The reading we'll be discussing today is Chapter 5, The Bikini Industrial Complex. Next week's reading is Part 3, Wax On, Wax Off, Chapter 6, Connect. Go to chippers.com and look under Big Strong Yes to find our complete schedule or look in your show notes to find the link. Okay, Dr. Kelly Jones, um, here we are today to discuss a chapter in this book, which is extremely challenging in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Um, but, you know, before we get into all of that, uh, I figure let's go through our homework from last week. <laughs> Do you want to tell me about your homework from last week? Yeah, so uh, my homework was to research human giver syndrome, and I found some interesting terminology where Mm -hmm. some people who are writing about this use the categories of human giver and human taker instead of Uh human giver and human being, which I thought Mm -hmm. was interesting. Um, But then I was reading more about Kate Mann and her work, um, and the book where this concept comes from is called Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny. And there are very few, there's not a lot of information about this online, which I thought was interesting because mm-hmm. if you, if you Google human giver syndrome, you get burnout. You don't ah, get Kate Mann. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. When you look at Kate Mann's work and, and you start reading, you know, like people's commentary on her work, the most mm-hmm. consistent message I found was, I just don't understand why this hasn't received more scholarly attention. This Uh is brilliant. Why aren't more people talking about it? And I'm like, well, the answer is in the description. (laughs) It's kind of on the label. Right? Like the (laughs) fact that we're not giving this a lot of attention is because the title is correct. Um, uh, You know, yay for consistency in Mm -hmm. cultural bullshit. Um, But but Kate Mann does make a, a much stronger point about kind of going into more depth with this and more complexity and looking mm-hmm. at human giver within the context of being a marginalized identity and what that means. And it's, it's not as simplified, which okay. you, you have to simplify to a certain extent to take someone's work and apply it to a new one. But her work is a lot more nuanced, but I was particularly mm-hmm. interested in her definition of misogyny as a cultural force and not, any individual's hatred for or disdain of women. Mm -hmm. She basically said, you know, misogyny is the structure that keeps patriarchal society in place, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a very interesting idea. Um, So it was, it was just kind of interesting to see where some of this is coming from, Mm -hmm. how it might be applied differently. Um, I don't, I still don't feel incredibly comfortable with it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just in terms of how gendered it is and, and how, you know. Are you talking about burnouts treatment or Kate Yeah, Nance? or just the concept of human giver syndrome just the in concept general. Of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, again, I'm trying to do the keep what's value and keep what's valuable and ignore what's not right. approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't get the, like, sometimes I get like that 
super happy, energetic research buzz where I'm like, oh, yeah, I see this and I see this and I see this and whatever. (laughs) And that's not happening yet. And largely because a lot of this work is simply being ignored, um, Mm -hmm. which I think proves man's point. (laughs) (laughs) And I just now... I just now made the connection that her last name is Man. Right? What an idiot. Right? How did I not see that? Because it had two N's and I've been reading it. Oh, I'm sorry. What a brilliant person who just failed to notice the connection there. Oh, let's try that shit again, shall we? (laughs) I'm not stupid. Thank you. (laughs) God damn, woman. I know. We got to keep each other honest with this shit. It's terrible. (laughs) So how did your homework go? Okay, so my homework was to nail down why I feel guilty whenever I read this book. And I think I've nailed it down. Um, I recently watched a video by friend of the show, Sarah Azat, on her YouTube channel, Costume Codex, which were her thoughts inspired by the book by Aubrey Gordon, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, which I'm this close to reading, but haven't been able to get to yet because I can only do so much. Um... Anyway, link to that is going to be in the show notes. Uh, In the video, Sara was talking about axes of oppression, like how many of the oppression boxes you tick, which then deeply influences your experience of the world. And it got me thinking about my various axes of privilege. Um, And some people in the Discord chat uh, last week had been talking about the reading, were really irritated that that chapter in which the Doctors Nagoski made a lot of space for the shock and grief when readers realized that the game was rigged and they lived in a page patriarchal society that was gaslighting them. Um, And the thing is that that shock is only available to people who maybe have like one axis of oppression, maybe like being female, you know, anyone who is say black and female and disabled or female and fat or female and something else, you know, they're like, how was not knowing even an option for you people? Like we're so far past that, you know? Um, And this book is very much like reflecting my experience back at me. It's written by privileged, cishet, able white women who see the world through a lens that is very tied to that reality because our experience shapes our reality. And since axes of privilege and oppression define your experience, they also define your reality. And it means that I live in a different reality from people whom I deeply love and respect. And I've been working really hard in recent years to see past those axes of privilege, to believe others, to hear their experience, to honor that experience in my life and my work and my speech and my choice of words and everything, you know? And every time I go into this book, I feel that quiet pull of the reality I've been working so hard to leave, a reality that sounds right to me when I read it, you know, but which flatly ignores the experiences of people I dearly love. And as such, that triggered some guilt, a a sense that I'm in danger of once again being a well-intentioned person who wanders through the world ignorant and inadvertently harmful. And I was that person for a long time. I don't want to go back. Um, you know, this way is harder. It's a lot more work, but it's so much better. So now that I realize that I don't feel guilty anymore, I'm not worried that they're going to pull me back in. They can't. I cannot unknow things once I have known them. And I'm just going to remind myself of that (laughs) Mm -hmm. as we move through this material. So that was, uh, yeah, that was my homework. That was how that all worked out for me. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. I love the conversations in Discord. They're so good. They're so good. They're so great. And we have some of the smartest people listening to the show. Um, yeah. And I really, really appreciate their insight. And I love the, you know, they're not, they're not afraid to be like, hey, 
you know, and I really do appreciate that because sometimes, especially when you've been trained to see the world a certain way, it really helps to have people who will kindly just be like, hey, here's another way to look at it, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. and that's really, really nice. And we've got that in the discord. All right. So uh, reflections in the past week. Did you have any reflections on uh, the material we've been working through? Yeah. So I knew we were going to have a whole chapter about like bodies mm-hmm. and physical and fatness and I said cool this will be a great week to uh think about my brain so okay yes um Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, and I've been struggling a lot with the neurotypical expectations and assumptions in this book yeah and my sweetheart recommended to me a book called Divergent Mind Thriving in a World that Wasn't Designed for You by Mm -hmm. Janara Nuremberg, who is a graduate of the Harvard School of Public Health and founder of the Neurodiversity Project. Yeah. And it has been like, like drinking like the best glass of strongly brewed sweet tea when it's like super fucking hot outside. This book (laughs) is so good and it is Mm -hmm. answering questions I didn't know I had. Oh, God, and it explains wonderful. so like we're in burnout we're dealing with I would argue a very mm-hmm. limited and flawed data set in the science yeah the uh divergent mind explains why that is the case mm-hmm. so this book explains how women have been left out of research and why mm-hmm. and and really takes a very high level historical and systematic view of what mm-hmm. has happened. There's so much history that explains why we are in the state we're in, like why things work the way they do, mm-hmm. who has been left out of research and why they've been left out. Um, mm-hmm. And it is just blowing my mind. I am, I mean, oh this my is, is going to be a, like, I need to make charts. I need to <laughs> take notes. Like it is so fantastic. So just, mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, make that recommendation to anyone who's struggled in some of the ways that I have with burnout. But Mm -hmm. I love this quote from Nirenberg um, that I found on her website. She says, narrate your insides. Mm -hmm. Narrate your insides. Like that is so powerful to me when you're thinking Mm -hmm. about, you know, accepting your body or whatever, asking your body for what it needs, all these things. I'm like, narrate your insides. Tell the story of your experience. How do you feel? How do you experience the world? Like it, I love that quote so much. Um, and I, you know, when I was thinking about like rewriting your origin story or, or yeah. reframing some of your experience or, you know, rethinking about things, how can you ask your body for what it needs if you don't trust what it tells you? Right. right. So like narrating your insides, give that voice trust, give that voice mm-hmm a space within yourself, you know, to hear this, own, your own truth. I just, it, I just thought it was fucking beautiful and I loved it. Oh my God. Well, yeah. I, so much of what we're going to talk about this week for me traces back to like, you know, abuse that I went through when I was a very, very small, from the time I was a very, very small child until I left the house. Um, mm-hmm. And um And part of what that abuse did to me was it taught me to not trust myself or my judgment because my judgment was in contrast to the abuser, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's not something that's allowed. So um, so the idea of narrating your insides, the idea of understanding your insides well enough to narrate them. Right. That is. Yeah, I'm going to have to sit with that for a while. 
Yeah. I like it. Me too. But that's really cool. So my reflections this week uh, weren't really about last week's reading. Uh, my reflections were anticipation of this week's reading because mm-hmm. I knew it was coming. Um, you know, the body thing. Like uh, when you said, and this still uh, blows my mind the most, is all my body has tried to do is keep me alive. I know I come back to that every week, but that is something that has just been um you know kind of a a lodestone for me in this you know um it's such a shocking idea to me because I have been trained from jump to hate my body and my appearance um and when I went through my whole list of here's how great my body has been to me and here's what a dick I've been to it to hear people say yeah I'd love to have your body was so shocking to me because like how could anybody want this you know but I get it chronic pain is the worst and if you have it the idea of a body that does not give you pain sounds like a wonder and I completely understand that now I come like as I've said from an abusive childhood home so my view of myself and my reality has always been kind of an internalized experience of oppression like Mm -hmm. when I got away from my abuser I continued to abuse myself internally like I took over that work because I had been trained to think in that way and when I went out into the world and I would experience, you know, uh, people being terrible to me because of misogyny or, you know, whatever, or because I was too fat, although I don't know now that I look back, I thought I was, I don't know. But I was, I felt so inherently defective and unlovable because of the way that I was treated as a child that whenever anybody was a dick to me, I thought it was deserved. I thought it was because I was Lonnie, not because I was a woman, you know? Mm -hmm. So I never have made that distinction until, you know, recently being able to kind of go back and see it. Um, I was conditioned not to perceive that. I was conditioned to believe that I deserved less, that I was inherently defective. And the thing that I've been thinking about is that, you know, whether or not I've actually been fat my whole life, that is definitely, you know, um, up for debate. But I have felt fat my whole life. I mean, I remember in my 20s, I had this crazy, beautiful roommate. And one day she casually told me her weight because she had no shame about it, which was also amazing. And I found out that she was only 10 pounds lighter than me. And I literally could not process that information because I was a big fat horror and she was beautiful and perfect. And how were there only 10 pounds between us, you know? And it's because from the time that I was, I can remember, I was told that I was fat and ugly and that those two things were inextricably linked, that Mm -hmm. if you were overweight, it wouldn't matter. You know, like there could be nothing attractive about you, nothing appealing about you, nothing um, lovable about you. And I lived in that reality for so long and I still do. You know, as I sit here recording this with you, I am extremely aware of every roll, every jiggle, every dimple, every sag, you know. And I feel I feel really fat. I know I'm not that big. Like I know I don't I don't have to deal with nobody gives me dirty looks on an airplane. Nobody says snide remarks about me. Um, you know, very few people try to police my body aside from the standard, uh, you know, why don't you smile more kind of thing that you get uh, walking down the street or talking to, you know, a lot of men. But I always felt that, that because of my inherent unlovability, because of my de facto defectiveness, that like other people could be heavy, other people could be fat, beautiful and amazing and wonderful, you know. But I couldn't because I couldn't afford it because I was already defective. And I realized that everything that I 
am looking at in this book, everything that I'm reading about in this book, everything that I'm experiencing with this book also comes up against that abuse in a way that I can't quite parse yet. I can't parse for me what is societal and what was familial, you know, mm-hmm. um, trying to work through all of that, trying to figure all of that out, trying to separate out what I've been taught you know, just by the media and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to what I was taught by people who were supposed to love me, my family, you know, it's really impossible for me to see through all that. It's really impossible for me to see anything else. So like, as I talk about this stuff, I'm, I'm finding myself struggling with it, not sure how to respond to it, not sure how to think about it, not sure how to parse it. And the idea that, you know, as I say, Like, I feel so incredibly fat. I feel so gross. I feel so blah, blah, blah. All this kind of stuff. I have friends who are heavier than me who I think are the most beautiful, unbelievably attractive, lovely, wonderful people. I have to parse out how I talk about myself, how I think about myself versus how I think about them and how that might make them feel when I say that shit. So I don't know. uh, To read this chapter and discover that the basis upon which so many of these societal influences that have trained us to hate ourselves are like not even fucking real. Like I was tired before I started reading, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And so I don't know, like, as we talk about this reading this week, I just have to warn everybody that like, I, I I don't know. I can like, I'm having responses. I don't know if they're, you know, right, if they're appropriate, if they're uh, fucked up because my whole perception of myself and my body has been fucked up. Uh, I don't know. So like the first note that I have here is like, where do we start? Yeah, (laughs) there's so much going on here. And I feel like our traditional approach of citing page numbers and giving quotes and going through sequentially may not be the right approach. Uh, So I'm just going to kind of like, start and hit on major ideas and we can just kind of talk about them as we go. The first one being that fat does not equal death, right? The idea that you are healthier, that most people are healthier at 70 pounds overweight than they are at five pounds underweight. That blew my mind because even being 10 pounds overweight is frowned upon. You know, Mm -hmm. I remember reading um, Bridget Jones diary. Did you ever read that book? No. Uh, she was talking about being 140 pounds, being 140 pounds. I was 140 pounds in the seventh grade, you know, yeah. um, like the idea that she was like, oh, my God, I'm so fat at 140 pounds. It's. It's just so weird, you know, Um So we go through this book. You've been lied to. One of the quotes, you've been lied to about the relationship between weight and health so that you will perpetually try to change your weight. And my first thought is this is not true. We've been presented with an unattainable beauty standard so that we will perpetually try to change our weight. We've been lied to about the correlation between health and weight so that people feel a moral justification for hating fat people so that we can justify anti-fat bias. And after all, like, you know, it's mean you know, it's racist to be mean to black people because they're black and it's homophobic to be mean to gay people because they're gay because they don't choose that. They're born that way. It's just the way they are. But you as a fat person, you choose it. You're lazy. You're like, that's the message that we send out. You're lazy. You're selfish. You're dumb. You can't figure out how to lose weight, you know, and and the whole idea that like, you know, we're not going to be hateful because you're born this way. Also, 
shows, you know, uh, that we presume that being non-white, being gay, being, you know, like anything that's not all of these axes of privilege is de facto a bad thing, you know, that you can be forgiven for if it's not your choice. But fat, fat is your choice, you know. Those are the messages that were being told. And, you know, one of the things that hit me is that, like, if fat was controllable, um, Oprah would not be fat. The woman with the arguably more resources than any other person in the world, maybe with the exception of, like, Bill Gates, would not be fat. If there was a way to control it, the resources and everything, like, it is such a complex thing. And body shapes are different. They're naturally different. Everybody is supposed to be at a different body weight. There is no one body weight that is right for everybody. And yet been told my whole life that it's a health thing and that I'm killing myself by not doing all of these things that would supposedly, you know, change my body or whatever, if only I worked at it hard enough. And then, of course, one of the things that uh, that wasn't addressed in this book, but which I had heard before and um and in the video that Sarah uh, talked about, um, Aubrey Gordon's uh, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, uh, talked about the very, very racist origins of the BMI, which I'm not going to go into here. Google it, BMI racist. You will find tons of information. It's pretty fucking horrifying. And none of that was in the book. Yeah, I was like, very None of the racist origins of BMI was in here. And I had thought that it was because I know I had heard that before. And I presumed I had heard it from this book. But I was kind of surprised about that. Yeah, yeah, I was too. And it's it's interesting to me how deeply ingrained so many of these ideas are. Mm-hmm. Even the idea that if being fat was controllable, Oprah would not be fat is still implying fat is bad. Exactly. Right. But I mean, you've seen Oprah constantly implying that fat is right. Exactly. Right. But I'm like, maybe she would. And maybe that's awesome. I saw Oprah speak um, in 2019. Mm -hmm. And that is one sexy goddamn woman. I mean, she's beautiful. She walked on the stage and I was like, oh, my God. She (laughs) was incredible. It was one of the highlights of my professional life was getting to hear her Mm -hmm. speak. And I, I, so, you know, and, and having been on the extreme side of this, so, you know, like Mm -hmm. I have been so severely overweight that it was a major health problem for Mm -hmm. me. You know, I have had trouble on airplanes. I have had all kinds of physical problems. I had weight loss surgery in 2018. And while that has been successful for me in a lot of ways, um, mm-hmm. I've lost over a hundred pounds. I do feel a lot better. It is mm-hmm. not the, oh, I was terrible before and I'm great now. Like that's not right. the case. Mm-hmm. This was a, the medical intervention that I felt best supported me. Yeah. I do not recommend it. Carte blanche. I do not evangelize it. Everybody's mm-hmm. options are different. But after, you know, 20 years of struggling mm-hmm. like this, the doctor that I ended up working with who I felt helped me. Yeah. This was the option that we did. Now I'm not close to a quote unquote goal weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not probably ever going to get there and whatever. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But, but I have lived in a very, very large body and I live in a body now that has lost a lot of weight, yeah. which is, you know, and it, it's kind of one of these damned if you do damned if you don't, 
because mm-hmm. if you gain a lot of weight, you're supposed to lose it. But when you lose it, your body doesn't shape the way that it's supposed to shape. Mm-hmm. So like you're fucked either way, which is just super fun. But I, I, I have some feelings that I don't quite know how to express about mm-hmm. authors writing about the experience of fatness if they have not had that experience yeah so like i i've been listening to the maintenance phase podcast i have found that Mm -hmm. to be the most thoughtful conversation around fatness and anti-fat bias that i have ever Mm -hmm. heard yeah Um, i feel very seen and very you know understood in those conversations Mm -hmm. Um, i just got aubrey's book um and i'm going to be reading that very soon and i'm i'm really looking forward to it but i have found myself shocked i mean shocked speechless by some of the things that she says out loud. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That as a fat person, I would never say out loud. Mm -hmm. You could not have beaten the number on a scale out of me if you had tied me in a basement and tortured me. Like that, there is Mm -hmm. no way in hell. And Aubrey does that on the show like it is nothing. I mean, she amazes me. And the fact that she amazes me shows me how fucked up the whole conversation and culture is around exactly how much shame is associated with that you know like yeah because like the idea of giving you my number first of all i don't know what it is i refuse to get on a scale i -hmm. refuse because it just depresses me so much you know and it's just it's ridiculous it's a number yeah it's so dumb the whole thing is so dumb but Mm -hmm. the you know just the the simple like accepting as true that your value as a human being, yes, as a miraculous creation of this universe, as a cognitive being, mm-hmm. comes down to how much you weigh and how much fat is on your body. It's, it's, it's so broken yes. and it's so ugly and it's so stupid and it goes so deep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I started my first diet when I was nine. Oh, baby. I was not a chubby child. Mm-hmm. I didn't start no having, I've seen pictures of you yeah, yeah I was I was not I didn't start having mm-hmm. issues with my weight until I started birth control as a teenager but I started my first diet at nine and then yeah. the the fat and ugly connection I feel very strongly because those words are used interchangeably all the time yes and it mm-hmm. is okay to insult fat people and it is okay to you know hurl that as a as an insult or a threat but I had so from the time I was born until the time I was, I don't know. When do you start losing your baby teeth? Six or seven? I can't remember. I am a parent and yeah. I can't remember this information. I think it's like two. I don't know. Whenever when you, you start, start getting your, your adult yeah. teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from the time before that happened, I was like probably an average looking kid. You know, mm-hmm. I knew from the time I was two that my cousin was prettier than I was. Because yeah. our baby pictures were compared. So, like, I already had that language as a toddler. Wait, 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 wait. Your baby pictures were compared. Yeah. And people told you that your cousin was prettier than you. People would comment. So, we had a picture. We're nine months apart almost to the day. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a picture of us. They're very cute pictures. We're wearing the exact same outfit and we're in the exact same pose. Yeah. And so, it's like a little portrait of each baby. And the comments would always be how pretty she was. And the very specific, and she is, I mean, she's a knockout, but I internalized that very, very quickly that I was not Mm -hmm. as pretty as she was. But then when my permanent teeth started growing in, they were severely deformed. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so much so I had to have two surgeries to prepare for a device I had to wear before I could wear braces. I was oh, in baby. a orthodontist journal, like because it was oh, my so goodness. severe and bad. Um, oh. When I was, you know, eight, nine, I would get stopped on the street by strangers. People would yell things when they walked past. You know, I tried to smile without opening my mouth like it was bad oh my god and so in those very formative years because my teeth I I was in orthodontic treatment from the time I was nine until the time I was 16 Mm -hmm. that's how long it took to to get you know just average looking teeth but it it impacts everything you know it shapes Mm -hmm. everything and I will say you know for all of the challenges I've had with my parents my my parents worked very hard to provide Mm-hmm. that orthodontic care and we did not have insurance and you know yeah. it was and, and I really do appreciate that because it was it was severe but I heard ugly like it was when a stranger will come up to you as a child and tell you how freaky you look like oh my god there is no coming back from that so like yeah. the the I look terrible it is so deeply ingrained and that was there yeah. before I started gaining weight So I'm, it is, it's, it's, um, it's such a deep part of my identity that Mm -hmm. I don't know how to separate that out. You know, I don't know how to, how to tackle that, but I'm sorry you had those messages growing up too, because when they get in early, they, they grow Mm -hmm. roots, you know, they, they go deep. Mm -hmm. And you don't know to question, you're not thinking critically, Right. You know, as a kid, you're just accepting that this is the world the same way that you accept that the sun rises every day. Exactly. You know, it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, baby. I'm so sorry. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's just kind of interesting to be like, oh, yeah, I had these concepts well before I had the ability to process these concepts, mm-hmm. um, which I think is probably the case for a lot of people. Um, yeah. But when whenever you've been on the extreme end of a subject... Mm-hmm. And and people are discussing that from from a different perspective. It is difficult to feel seen. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I know that that is my kind of struggle with this book um, in this section. But I think I think body shaming is so goddamn universal. It, it, it knows no gender. It knows no class. It knows no race. Like just because. Yeah. The, the systems we have in place are so incredibly fucked up. Oh, yeah. And I mean, let's not forget, like, you know, we talk about it from the the perspective of being told that we are fat and ugly, right? You know, but like, if you're thin, you get told to have a burger. And you know what? It's nobody's fucking business. Mm-hmm. You know, like nobody's business what anybody eats, you know, but but also like, there is this sense of, um of almost like retaliatory cruelness to thin people as well. Like nobody, and nobody gets out of this alive. I don't think. Yeah. You know, it's bad for everyone. It's absolutely bad for everyone. And then of course we get to the part of the reading where the actual health hazard is the stigma, Mm -hmm. right? That the level of toxic abuse that that people deal with is a constant source of chronic stress, which actually does have huge effects on health, um, which is why racism and anti-fat bias contribute to lower health outcomes. So when they talk about how, you know, like you have worse health outcomes as a fat person, there's a million reasons for that, which have nothing to do with the actual weight itself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's chronic stress. Um, you know, it's, it's not getting the proper, uh, healthcare. 
There's just so much of it. And also the biggest predictor of positive health outcomes is socioeconomic status. You know, so capitalism fucking kills people. So people can just stop pretending they give a fuck about anyone's personal health health because they don't. They just want to abuse somebody. You know, we just want somebody that we can beat up. And this is, you know, one of the axes upon which we do that. Also, when they mentioned in the book, eating disorders have the highest mortality of any mental illness, killing 250,000 people a year. I mean, uh, that like stat right there stopped me. I was like Mm -hmm. 250,000 people and nobody gives a fuck, right? Nobody's saying anything about it. Um, I mean, some people are talking about eating disorders, but you don't hear about it to the extent that you hear about, oh, hey, you know, heart disease is going to take you out if you don't get on the treadmill, you know, or whatever. They have another uh, quote, this grotesque discrimination means that it is so dangerous to be a fat person in the world, not because of the fat, but because of the daily discrimination, exclusion and stigmatization, Mm -hmm. um, which is absolutely true. And at the end, there's this one quote that sits with me, and I know that I've internalized this from a very, very young age, is we've been taught that our bodies reflect our morality and indeed our very worth as human beings. Yeah. 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 It is astounding to me how much of this stigma comes from the medical professionals who are supposed to be dedicated to healing and care. Yeah. Um, and, and I know doctors get very little nutritional training. One of my favorite primary care pro- uh, providers that I ever had, she was telling me that because uh, both of us have very large breasts. Mm-hmm. And she was telling me that when she was in medical school and they were learning how to listen to each other's hearts with the stethoscope, yeah. that no one wanted to partner with her because it is more difficult to hear the things that you have to hear on larger breasts and they don't teach medical students how to do it. And so like no one wanted to practice with her heart conditions and women get misdiagnosed all the time because of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was sharing that experience with me. And I was just like, if you can't get it right in medical school, what chance do the rest of us have? Um, But it's so pervasive and it's so centered on patient shaming that like when I, so uh, I was 16 when a parent decided to put me on the Depo-Provera birth control shot. Mm-hmm. I had no say in the matter. I didn't have a choice. The doctor mm-hmm. gave me the shot. And I gained 40 pounds in four months, maybe. <gasps> oh, baby. Yeah. And when I came in for the follow-up, the doctor yelled at me for gaining so much weight. She was like, this <sighs> is this is disgusting, basically. You have to change... No one even considered the fact that this horrible, like I didn't have a period Mm -hmm. for two years as a teenager because of this huge hormonal disruption. Yeah. And I started gaining weight and gained it ever since. I didn't, I was very active. I didn't Mm -hmm. change how I ate, nothing. And this was what was happening. And all I heard was, you are now a horrible, terrible fat person who is gaining weight. And like, God, baby. That has been reinforced to me from so many doctors. When I fell and shattered my arm, I shattered my elbow. I broke my arm in three places. It was a huge Uh traumatic break. The first surgeon who worked on me, who, by the way, I am convinced is actually a serial killer with body parts in his basement. Uh And I ran Uh that by his head nurse and she said it would not surprise her at all. Like this was one of the cruelest surgeons I've ever met in my life he was horrible and thank god he 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 was there because I was in emergency care 
And then the follow-up surgeries, I got to choose a doctor um, who was mm-hmm. much better. But they had to send over my notes from the first surgeon to the second surgeon. And when I was reading through them, half of that man's notes were about my weight. Oh. I was in there for a broken arm. And his dialogue was so visceral and so hateful and so horrible that I was like, I cannot believe he has allowed to talk about me like this. Mm -hmm. I didn't break my arm because I'm fat. Like, come on. You know, fat people fall down too. But it was, it was such a slap in the face, you know, to, to see that and to know that that is allowed and condoned and maybe even expected, Mm -hmm. you know, to have had some very awful experiences with doctors like even when I was at my heaviest my blood pressure was always perfect mm-hmm. and I've had doctors for whom that makes them angry yeah like like seriously annoyed with me that my blood pressure is perfect while I'm so overweight um how dare you how dare you you know yeah mm-hmm. uh, so it is it is such a fucked up system but shaming people uh, it, how is the worst possible policy to anything if that is the, yeah. if that is the approach, you're doing it wrong, you exactly. know, but it is, it's so ingrained in the medical system, in society, in everything that it's just, it does help me to know that the game is rigged in that sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because then at least I can understand where some of this is coming from, but living through it and having that be the daily reality and being treated by people the way I have been treated by people Um, It is a harrowing experience, you know, just how truly awful people will be to you when you have done nothing to them except exist in your body. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of shocking how pervasive that is. No, it's terrible. Have you noticed a difference in the way that people treat you? We don't have to put that on the show. It's just curious. No, no, it's fine. Oh, yeah. Uh A huge difference. Huge difference. Um, Which is really sad. You know, yeah, that's it's, terrible. It's, it's really sad. Um, the the difference in how I am treated and how people respond to me. Yeah, it is. It, it's a, a huge shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I see people I haven't seen in a long time, all they want to talk about is my weight. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I'm really not interested in having that conversation. I have worked very hard. So, like, I... Yeah. I have put strategies in place because I've wanted to be, you know, to feel healthier. Mm-hmm. But I will not make this the center of my world. I, I no. will not. Mm-hmm. I will not. I, I I, don't follow everything as strictly as I should. I don't obsess about it. I am not going to make this the center of my universe. I will not mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. Um, and, and at this stage of my life, after 43 years, you know, if someone has a problem with my body, they can fuck off. <laughs> I, I do not give a holy goddamn yeah. anymore. You know, this this vessel has kept mm-hmm. me alive. It has it has kept my brain in place. And I'm sorry, but I'm goddamn brilliant. And I will take you it are. like it's fine. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the boobs that sag now kept a baby alive for almost mm-hmm. a year. Like, God fuck them. I don't care. I'm I'm mm-hmm. over it. I am done with it. But it it is a real thing to be despised because mm-hmm. of your body. Yeah. You know, and I know what that feels like. And it's incredibly damaging and painful. Um, and it's, it's so far past the, oh, you need to lose 10 pounds or, oh, you need to whatever Mm -hmm. that it's, it's just really hard. And so if nothing else, like I'm hoping as more of this work becomes published, you know, Mm -hmm. if we can start hearing from people with expertise and experience 
that maybe some kind of empathy or different understanding is possible you know that because this to me in the area i feel like we are so far behind the ball like politically incorrect to be racist and homophobic but you can hate fat people all you want oh it's still fine you know even if you're the doctor in charge of them like it's fine yeah Yeah. oh god no that's awful and i'm so sorry that happened no i'm I'm sorry just like rambling a whole lot but no i just want to get a baseball bat and start swinging i'm so (laughs) mad and the thing is you and i are best friends like we haven't had this conversation i didn't know that story yeah i didn't know a lot of that you know, yeah. like we don't talk about it, right? Because mm-hmm. we have better things to talk about. Trust me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, uh, yeah, that's just so awful. Um, all right. So we, uh, we're we getting down to the part of the reading where they talk about body acceptance. Mm-hmm. And strategy one in this is mess acceptance, which was a phrase that rubbed me the wrong way. Me too. So fucking hard. Yeah, Uh, the idea, like, I mean, basically what they're saying is, you know, accept your body for what it is, embrace body diversity in yourself and in others, and listen to your body, all of which I think are, you know, yeah, okay, sure, Mm -hmm. like, I don't have a problem with any of that. But the mess acceptance, the the sense that, like, you, (laughs) we go through this whole thing saying that you know having a bigger body or having a different body or having a body that you know that is 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 um diverse in a number of different ways is great and fine and normal and that is normal and then uh, just as long as you understand that it's a mess right you just have to accept that it's a mess yes and i'm like that feels so counter to what the message of this should be right yeah i hated it so much Um, I hated it. 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 I can't even tell you how much I hate it. I, no, no, I, I am allowed to call myself a hot mess. Nobody else is like, fuck that. No, um, your body is not a mess. Your body is Mm -hmm. not, you are not a mess. You are a person. God damn it. Like your body is your body. Your body is not a mess. It, the messaging is, is I'm like, God, just fuck it. No, this is backwards. Don't do it like this. Um, I do not like it. Do not like it. Do not like unsubscribe. Do not like and unsubscribe. Followed up by you are the new hotness. Which I also Which hate. also drove me crazy. Yeah. Because it remains, it's, it's, it has the message that you are still required to be hot. That your job as a human is to be attractive to others. And you are the new hotness. It just feels to me like it. they're making a point and then it feels like missing it. Yeah. You know, I am not, please just let me not be required to be pretty, you know, like I don't want that to be a requirement of my value as a human of, you know, and, and it's still something that like I struggle with, like, you know, here I am, we're on zoom, right. I rolled out of bed. I got dressed in a dress because a dress is comfortable. I wear dresses all the time because they're the more comfortable thing. Um, but my hair's a mess and I haven't done makeup and I look, you know, and I still feel a little bit like, oh, I'm sorry. I like literally the thought in my head is I'm sorry I'm making you look at me. Oh my God. I love not, looking like, at you. Hey, you're beautiful. <laughs> I also no, rolled out of bed. Yeah. yeah, you look fucking gorgeous, but like well, not the you. point, like not the point, you know. Yeah. Um, so like the sense of this requirement 
to be beautiful. And again, like, you know, and we had this as part of BSY uh, season one at the end of the one of the things I made everybody say at the end of every sentence, and I am beautiful, right? You know, um, and I do believe in that. Like, I, I don't think that you're required. I think you're beautiful, like, as you are was the point of that is that yeah. like your beauty is such a an all encompassing quality that every human has, mm-hmm. like every human is beautiful. Like every human is beautiful in their way they are. And it's, but to me that felt like, um, like when we were talking about it in season one, beautiful to me felt like less about your, not about your physical appearance, but just mm-hmm. about your inherent beauty as a human, you know, and yeah. that we all embrace that. And this feels like it's about being beautiful to others physically well the the new hotness that bothered me because i my brain immediately i was like hot for who hot according to who like the hotness for who for who like what the fuck no no thank you i'm right no and then we go into strategy three where everybody is the new hotness right which i think what they're trying to say is what i was just saying is that everybody has beauty in them in who they are as people. But they go into Lindy West talking about uh, recommending that we look at pictures of fat women on the internet until they don't make you uncomfortable anymore. And I think that there may be something to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Leonard Nimoy's The Full Body Project. And yes, that Leonard Nimoy, Spock. Um, and, you know, I looked at the pictures and it made me uncomfortable. And I was like, well, I guess I need to do this more. But all, like, I don't know, like all of it's, all of it's making me uncomfortable and I'm not sure what the source of the discomfort is. You know, I'm not sure if it's that, uh, you know, like I think that I, I don't mind necessarily seeing like pictures of people who are naked as long as it's not um, as long as it's something where they are embracing, like they are into it. They are clearly like and these women, I think, were clearly like embracing that and it was OK. I don't know. I don't know. It just, yeah. it all feels weird to me at this point. And I haven't really parsed out exactly why. Well, I think the fact that they would have to say, go look at pictures of fat people because they are not represented in the media that we consume all day. Exactly. Is a statement in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to see a picture of a model who is of size in a bathing suit, you're going to have to go search for it. It is not going to well, be splashed right. and, in front of your face every 10 seconds the way that other ones are. And most of the media that we do see of fat people is derogatory. Like right. the, the, the pictures pictures of fat people where they are loving themselves, that to me is, you know, almost subversive, but like in a really good way. Like, I think that we need that. We need to see representation of fat people where, first of all, their defining quality, their most defining quality is not their size. Mm-hmm. Um, and second of all, where they are unashamed and unmocked, you know, yeah. Um, because most of the time when we see pictures of people of size, right, that's what happens. Or they're the know? before picture. In a before or the and before after story. picture, like you look know? how horrible and disgusting yeah. and yada yada, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I was a before picture for mm-hmm. you know, like that's that's the box that I would have fit. Baby, in. you have always been an after picture to me. Oh, I'm a now picture. Like fuck, you're before a now and after. picture. I'm a now yeah. picture. 
you know, but I, I, I'm like, oh, I mean, and I do think there is, it is good to be exposed to many body types. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the fact that that is not happening organically within mm-hmm. our media, I think says a lot, you know, it's. Well, because fat hate is the last sanctioned yeah. hate, right? Yeah. I mean, the last truly sanctioned hate. Then we get to strategy four, which actually I kind of like. I like right? this one. Yep. High body. What do you need? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, this also, again, fritzed my brain. So I'm still working with it. But the quote um, from the book is even before she can read or speak, she watches commercials and sees the magazine covers at the grocery store. And though she may never talk about it with any of the people in her life, she is absorbing the idea that her body is not already beautiful. And that if she doesn't make it beautiful, she doesn't automatically deserve food or love or rest or health. And the it's that last part. She doesn't deserve food or love or rest or health. And I have felt that way about myself from uh, my first memories. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd say from birth, as far as I can remember. I have felt that way about myself. I don't deserve it, you know. And the idea that you don't deserve something that you need to keep you alive, which is all of these things. The idea of believing that you don't deserve these things that are basic human needs. What that does to your head, it's so fucked. Yeah, so that I still can't. Like, no, even now, after healing as much as I've healed, after working through as much as I've worked through, there is a part of me that still feels like I don't deserve this. You know, there is a part of me that counts the calories in every single bite that I eat. And there is a part of me that feels guilty, lazy, broken, wrong, shameful um, on the days when I don't work out, on the days when I eat a piece of cake. Uh, You know, like the idea of not having brain space dedicated to just that all the time. Yeah. Is so far beyond my comprehension. Like I can't imagine what that's like what it's like to not feel bad about myself every minute of every day in at least this little way you know yeah yeah I know it's 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 rough it was interesting this was the only part that resonated with me was high body what do you need yeah and when I first read it I read it as hi baby what do you need because I hear myself say that all the time Yes. If my son is here. Hi, baby. What do you need? Do you want a glass of water? Are you hungry? Are you cold? Whatever. I say mm-hmm. it to my cat all day long. Yeah. Hi, baby. You say what it to me need? every day. You text me all every the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The cat's answer is treats. She always <laughs> needs treats. This cat has never been fed, will never be fed, and she needs mm-hmm. treats. But it is so natural to me if, if I am near mm-hmm. someone to say, you know, what, what do you need? What can I get you? Are you hungry? Yeah. Are you thirsty? Are you tired? Are you whatever? I don't do that to myself. It never mm-hmm. dawned on me. Yeah. It's it, it, like, yeah. what do you need? And I was Ask like, my body what it needs. Huh? Yeah. But in the tone, it with the approach, with the intention and with the care that I effortlessly give Show to other others. people and enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. I like making somebody a cup of tea. Yeah. I, you know, like, You're I don't care, baby, I was at your house for 12 hours and you made me a pie and you made me a casserole. Yes, I did. And I loved it. It's great. 
know, I want everyone to have a comfortable place to sleep. I want everyone mm-hmm. to be warm and clean and fed and have a bath if they need one and to be well hydrated and to have whatever they like. That is, I think it's like the right. alpha wolf mentality. Yeah. Like I mm-hmm. need my people to be cared for, period. I'm mm-hmm. not incredibly maternal. I'm not going to like, I'm not great about let me do this for you or I'm going to whatever. But the basic stuff, do you mm-hmm. have what you need right now? Like, yeah. That is my jam. Um, mm-hmm. And I believe in that super, super strongly. And it never has dawned on me to ask myself that question, like to ask my body that question yeah. as if I was take. So I was like, oh my, okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. High body. What do you need? Which I read as high baby. What do you need? Like I, that part, I was like, okay, I forgive you know a lot what? of this chapter. <laughs> yeah. Since we both from the time that we were babies, you know, have had that neglect. Like maybe that's the way to approach it. Cause that's how we approach each other. Mm-hmm. You and I, when we text each other all day long, every single text opens with hi baby. How are you doing? Yep. Hi baby. You know, what's going on today? Yep. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. So what if you, treated your body the way that you treat your best friend yeah right because i would argue that your body has done more to keep you alive than i have oh it's it's worked (laughs) real hard i mean it has damn this body it has been through some shit and it has worked real hard yeah uh, to keep me alive but i i think it's just the i know how it feels within myself to ask that question of someone else yeah i know what i mean i care about their answer Mm-hmm. And I want to give them what they need. Like, I mean it when I ask it. I didn't, and I was like, oh, my God, to turn that inside out. I, but I when I ask you that question, a lot of times you don't know. Oh, no, I never know. When I That's say, hey, I'm baby, like- what can I do for you? What do you need? And you're just like, whatever. And I just send you gifts. Yes. Because I, I know what your well. favorite gifts are. Yes. So I send you gifts. <laughs> Well, it's funny, though, because that mm-hmm. makes me laugh and smile. And a lot of times what I need is to laugh and smile, but I don't know how to articulate that. Right. Or to, to understand that that's what you're, you know, that's what you need. But yeah, like the idea of like, what does my body need? Mm-hmm. You know, like regardless of everything else, how do yeah. I identify? I mean, if you ask me what I want at any given moment, I cannot tell you. If you ask me what I want at any given moment, I will tell you that I want a latte and I will mean it. But <laughs> what do you need is a different question. Yeah. And I like the I like the the idea of having a framework the way that you would for a small child or a pet. Are you thirsty? Are you mm-hmm. hungry? Do you feel lonely? Do you need to move? Are you cold? Like Instead of just what do you need? Like, let's figure out in this physical realm. Yeah. What do you need? Um, mm-hmm. So like before we recorded this podcast, we recorded Still Pretty where I got yes. to guest and that was so much fun. And then we had to kind of take a break and then shift gears for this. So I was like, all right, I'm going to complete the stress cycle before I fucking talk about this chapter. And so <laughs> I was like doing some mm-hmm. little silly dancing to some great music in my living room. And I was like, oh, I need music right now because it lifts yeah. my spirit. And then I can... Like, come in and be kind of lighthearted and, and enjoy mm-hmm. it and, and and make inappropriate comments when we open the show. And it's super fun. So I, I'm like, but I had to think, like, what what can I do in 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. This, oh, yeah. Music works. 
for me. I have to remind myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where I was like, if I was parenting myself, Mm -hmm. I would put the playlist on for baby Kelly because she likes it. Um, But it's such a mindset shift Mm -hmm. in the what do you need coming from a place of genuine care. Like it it just blew my mind. I'm not being very articulate about it because I haven't figured it out, but it's it's a it's big. It, it is. I mean, that is an absolute, like, huge, big moment. Uh, but before we get to our aha moment, our big idea, which I imagine for both of us is going to be the same thing, um, I wanted to take a moment out and pull in the new uh, part of this, at least for this <laughs> book. It's just the quote traducan section. Um, because they keep pulling these quotes from people that I just absolutely love. Um, but they're just pulling quotes. So I think they're amazing at curating some good quotes. And so yeah. this week, the, the two that stuck out to me was, Uh, Jess Baker, who said, when a fat chick who hasn't done the work, who hasn't tried to fix her body, who doesn't have any interest in the gospel we so zealously believe in, stands up and says, I'm happy, we freak the fuck out because that bitch just broke the rules. She just cut in front of us in line. She just unwittingly ripped us off. And she essentially made our lifetime of work totally meaningless. Yeah. And that is a quote that I'm just going to leave there because that needs some fucking unpacking. But yeah. Um, Jess Baker is great. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, And then from Naomi Wolf, a culture fixated on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty, but an obsession about female obedience. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 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 It's real hard to fight back if you're hungry. It is real hard to fight back if you're hungry. Exactly. Um, All right. So that's this week's quote, Turducken. Uh, The big (laughs) idea, the aha moment. What do you got? Oh, it, it, you know, hi, body, what do you need? I'm like, holy, mm-hmm. sh- holy shit. I'm going to have to think about that uh, a lot, <laughs> like a lot. And, and yeah, the fact that it is so shocking is telling and then what that yeah. means and what to do with it. Yeah, I, I don't know. A big idea. The, blah, yeah, statement, statement, words, words, words. I don't know. But it's a big <laughs> idea. <laughs> the idea of paying attention to what my body needs rather than how my body looks um, and rather than apologizing to other people because they have to look at me when I've rolled out of bed and my hair is a mess as opposed to apologizing to myself because I haven't treated myself, I haven't treated my body with the love and respect that it deserves. Like that's a whole thing. Um, you know, it's, it's so funny because when I have this conversation, when I talk about this stuff, the voice that I hear is actually my brother's. And I mean, like everybody, my brother was two and a half years older than me. Like he was, uh, he was abusive from jump, like just a cruel, cruel child. Um, And the contempt in the way that he spoke to me, the things that he said to me um, when I was so young, like I remember this abuse back to when I was a baby and um, I still struggle to believe that he's wrong. You he's know? wrong. He's wrong. I, I know. Like, I know. Yeah. I know. But you, there's a difference between what you know and what you believe. I know. Right? I know. You know. I'm so sorry that that was it's your so... experience. And I want to, well, my punching yeah. arm's real twitchy. <laughs> and I mean, the thing is, up until he was, uh, you know, like a teenager, there's, I don't hold him responsible. I really hold the adults 
who mm-hmm. didn't stop it. Like, he did terrible shit to me. Um, and he was a child that desperately, desperately needed some help that he did not get. Um, and I was a child that desperately needed to be protected, and I was not protected. Oh, my um, God. So growing up with that, it's so hard to hold him entirely responsible until he was older because he was a kid. Oh, my God. But anyway, I mean, all of that to say, like, um, <sighs> I was never told as a child that it wasn't true. I was never shown as a child that I didn't deserve it. And as a result of that, my ability to look at myself and think that I'm a person that doesn't deserve on some level that kind of treatment has always been really, really difficult. I think I'm better now. I'm not there 100% yet. So the idea in my head, I... I believed that I er- that I deserved it because I was defective and because I was fat and because I was ugly. And that if I could just change those things, then I would no longer deserve that kind of treatment. And, I'm, you know, I'm going to be 50 in like a matter of weeks and I'm still carrying this shit with me. Like this is still so deeply ingrained. Yeah. And I mean, we've been super close and best friends for a long time and I didn't know those things. Yeah. You haven't shared those stories before. We haven't talked no. about those things. So I'm like, I don't talk about that with anybody. I haven't yeah. talked about that with my therapist. I haven't talked about it with anybody. That's it's time. Yeah, probably. Maybe yeah. it's about I mean, because the thing is, like, I, you know, I've been processing a lot of trauma. There was my mother was neglectful, narcissistic personality disorder. So it was a lot of like emotional kind of gaslighting, you know, kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so I've dealt with that. And, you know, because of her, I fell very easily into the hands of a sociopath that I married. Um, and now coming out of that, I process that. And then there's this, like, yeah. and I haven't because everything else was so much like getting to this, that like original, you mm-hmm. know, abuse that I think set me up for everything else, you yeah. know, oh, haven't even gotten to it yet. I haven't even, haven't even gotten to that is so far at the back of the closet. Like I haven't even gotten to it yet. I'm um, so sorry. Oh, my God. See, this is why I'm not allowed to have a TARDIS, because I wish to do so much violence right now. I know. I know. I feel the same way about, like, the fucking doctor. I have been trying not to cry since you told that story about how the doctor treated you. I'm so and I sorry. still like I can't I can't think no don't be sorry oh See, my God. I just get mad that somebody treated you like that that somebody said those things to you you reading that like the idea of it just makes me oh I would take him out if I had a TARDIS too this oh is why God. the universe will so never give would. me one because I'm not <laughs> I'm not interested in making amends out. I'm gonna go back in time with a really big laser <laughs> blaster <laughs> anyway I wasn't gonna cry Oh, on this honey. fucking episode. No, I've been trying not to since you said that. Oh. I, just uh, the idea of anybody loved. doing that to you makes me like so upset. Um, but anyway, because I just wish I could have been there. I didn't know you then. I you know. know? I know. But if I could have been there, I would have been there. I would have been sending you fucking gifts. I would have gotten on a plane. It would have been you. fine. <laughs> anyway, strong challenge. What do you resist? Oh, my God. I I mean, all of it and the society that created it and everybody who is bad about it and the new hotness and mess acceptance. And uh, yeah, all of it. Yeah. (laughs) All of it except high body. What do you need? High body. What do you need? Yes. We have pulled out a valuable thing out of this chapter. And that is definitely it. All right. So, yes. Now, what is your action or homework for this week? What are you going to do? So I... I was thinking that I was like, oh, you know, I should probably have a 
conversation with my body that I'm like, I don't know if it needs to be a thank you letter or an apology letter or a mix, a little bit of a mix of both. <laughs> Probably a mix of mm-hmm. both. Then I'm like, yeah, we need to have a a, a spirit of appreciation conversation mm-hmm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. I think I flat out owe my body an apology um, in a lot of ways. <laughs> I mean, like probably a lot, uh, probably many, many, many apologies. Mm-hmm. But just to kind of articulate that. Um, yeah. And, I, and I, I don't know that I w- would read it word for word because, I mean, first of all, I'm an academic. It'll be 47 pages long. The first 15 will not have a point. It's going to take me, like, this is just how it and goes. And it will be fucking cited. Yes. Oh, yes. There will be fucking footnotes in my apology letter to myself. Dear body, according to the National Center for I Have Been Mean to You, quote, 2021, you know, yada, 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 yada. We'll have, like, a fucking reference list. Um, but I do think this is something I should attempt mm-hmm. to write. Like, or just, yeah. you know, because, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. this is... This is bad. I mean, I have been mistreated by mm-hmm. the world, and so has everyone, but I have greatly mistreated this body. Yeah. Um, and, and just to just to acknowledge that, you know, and, yeah. and, and to find things to thank it for, mm-hmm. um, because right. the list of disappointments is, is real and, and, mm-hmm. and valid, you know. Yeah. But I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to work on that, so. All right. Like that was that. a very long answer for a short homework assignment. What are you going to do? I like it. Um, I'm going to spend this week um, actively resisting the temptation to think of myself as ugly and fat. Like actively resisting all of that, which is a daily constant reminder. So oh, I've got God, to honey. really be mindful about it and not yeah. go there. Um, and I'm also going to spend a week prioritizing how my body feels. When I start worrying about how I look, I'm going to stop myself consciously and say, no, how do I feel? You know? See, Um, I wish I could bring you a cup of the glow tea. I know, but I have it because you bought me some and sent it to me. By the way, everybody, Twining's glow tea is like, it's, it's bullshit marketing about how it makes your face glow. I don't know that it does, but it's like my favorite tea in the world and I cannot get it. And this wonderful woman sends me boxes in the mail because she's the best. It's such good tea. I love it. I love you so much. It's so, it's so, so good. Yes. And I have lots of it and I'm going to have tons of it this week. Um, all right. So, uh, what's your favorite part? Um, so... This really makes me want to read Aubrey Gordon's What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About mm-hmm. That. Um, yeah. Because it took me months to start the podcast. It has been recommended mm-hmm. to me so many times. Mm-hmm. I resist the hell out of it because, hey, that's going to be kind of personal and we'll probably have feelings or whatever in it. Uh, it is brilliant. It is brilliantly researched. Oh, my God, do I love the references in that podcast <laughs> show notes. Oh, <laughs> it lights my heart on fire yeah. uh, the mm-hmm. dynamic between the host is so good and yeah. i appreciate her so much mm-hmm. i have had the book since sarah recommended it to me in discord and have yet mm-hmm. to open it so yeah. uh but this chapter really because what i'm finding and maybe this is an appreciative inquiry about burnout mm-hmm. the parts that don't work for me instead of making me want to put the book down are making me want to find something that does Something so like, that does, yeah. yeah, so like that's what really was helping motivate me to read mm-hmm. Divergent Mind. And so now I'm like, okay, this can't speak to my experience of fatness. It is time to try to read something that does. And that yeah. feels very empowering. 
you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. So I like that. So that was my favorite part. What about you? Well, I'm going to go grab both of those books mm-hmm. and read them. Um, because I need that too. Like there's, you know, and I, I feel bad because I feel like the intentions of this book are coming from a good place and again yeah, I like too. the authors you know but I do feel um I feel like I'm I'm seeing such a narrow space in mm-hmm. which what they're saying is true and that there's so much more outside of that um I've been wanting to get the book I listened to maintenance phase as well absolutely love Aubrey um and Michael Hobbs her co-host I think they're just fabulous and but I have been it's one of those things that like I've resisted reading it you mm-hmm. know and I think that probably because it gets me very close to this like you know right at the bone kind of stuff that I haven't really approached yet you know So I'm going to, but I'm going to get it and I'm going to read it. And that's going to be something because I really think that it'll be very valuable for me to like push through all of that and like address the source of all of that. Yeah. And also have a better understanding of, you know, like this is how I feel, you know, as a woman who's like, you know, the national average, you know, like I'm on the national average size for, for women in America, you know, like I haven't had to deal with as much of the, um, of the bias I think most of the damage that has been done to me has been instilled in me and I have done it to myself you know um I mean not that society hasn't society does society's fucked but you know bottom line is I'm the one like the the viciousness has come from me like the really deep personal viciousness so I think being able to um read that book and experience this from a perspective outside of my own you know experience and kind of see it as a broader thing um, and understand it from that perspective, I think may help me because I have anti-fat hate in me. It's just, it's all for me, you know, Mm -hmm. and I need to release that because it does leave me with these presumptions of fat being bad, you know, and that's not what I believe about the people that I love. You know, so the fact that I believe different for me than I believe for anybody else, like I need to work through that. And I think that having somebody who is as brave as Aubrey Gordon to talk about things that nobody else is, you know, we're all not allowed to talk about, like we all feel not allowed to talk about. Um, I think she's a national goddamn hero. And I'm really looking forward to reading that book. Yeah. Yeah. It'll 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 be interesting. So this was fun. Um this was <laughs> to, <laughs> to join in the discussion on Twitter. Follow Lonnie at Lonnie Dine Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag Big Strong Yes. Also be sure to follow Chipperish Media at Chipperish to stay connected with all of our podcasts. You can find out more about the Doctors Nagowski and Burnout at burnoutbook.net. Patreon supporters are getting exclusive content like Let's Watch Roulette, where Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd and I react to randomly chosen movie or TV show for $5 and up supporters, while $10 and up supporters get to attend show recordings live. And we've got a new stretch goal. Once we hit 500 subscribers, we'll unlock the monthly chip chat, where I will host a private one-hour Zoom call uh, open to every supporter to talk about whatever y'all want. I don't even care. So if you haven't pledged your support yet, now is the time. Speaking of supporters, this episode of Big Strong Yes was brought to you by the Chippers Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Big Strong Yes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Abigail, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen, Rose, Shelley, Stephania, and Stephanie. 
And this week's special message for our power producers, no matter what has happened to that body of yours between the day you were born, beautiful and perfect, and today, your body is still beautiful and perfect. We will be back next time with part three, Wax On, Wax Off, chapter six, Connect. Until then, today's closing quote is from Lindy West. Loving yourself is not antithetical to health. It is intrinsic to health. You can't take good care of a thing you hate. <laughs>